stretch, get the oxygen flowing, do everything we can to give our best to the Lord God in worship, amen? We're going to sing one, How Great Thou Art, I'm sure you've heard it. Amen. Go ahead and be seated, but stay in this openness that you feel with the Holy Spirit right now. Thanks, Pat. And Dave, it's nice. Uh, Pat was excited that you just stepped in and joined him. So I'm really happy to uh, have such a brother and a friend in Christ as uh, Dave Clark. Over the, over the last few years, we've gotten become acquainted. Last year, we, of course, uh, began our songwriting seminar, which begins tomorrow night and goes uh, Thursday night, Friday night, and all day Saturday. Um, my... only opportunity is to work with such a gifted gentleman who is really comes to us with the greatest gift of all the opportunity to be able to write and put scripture and testimony to music in light speed so there is probably no one more gifted and more well known he has more than 25, 25 number one hits with some of the greatest artists that have performed and are well known throughout the Christian music world. So, Dave, without further ado, your blessing. Please, let's welcome Dave Clark. Would bless me in a way that would let me come back and uh, be a part of you. And you, you are a part of me, and I'm an online student, and... Uh, I'm an online student for four more weeks. How about that? <laughs> I'm, and I'm, I'm in a class right now, and I, I just I almost felt like I was, I was getting a break that the rest of my classmates weren't getting. I was getting to come out here on campus. And, and I look forward, all these years I've looked forward to, we start the online classes, and we have to post a bio in the class. And, and, and we start reading those, and by the end of it, you know, we're pulling for each other. And, and, and the community that comes with the online is not quite what you all get here, but it becomes pretty special over all these years. And so a month from this weekend, I will come back, and I will bring my parents. They're going to come. I don't think they ever believed that their boy would graduate college. Um, their boy never believed he would graduate college. I got some high school teachers that would still be in shock if they knew this. And uh, my wife and three kids are coming, and my sister and her husband. And I told my mother was pretty excited about it. And I said, I got to warn you. I said, I'm not going to graduate top in my class, but there's a good chance I'll be first in my age group. Um, so we're, you know what? It's been a neat, neat journey. And. I don't even, I, I brought some things tonight, and yet just driving over here this evening, I felt like maybe there was something different that God wanted me to share with you this evening. Some of you know my story, and you know I'm from Michigan, and, and there's, there's a 10-hour drive from my driveway to the ballpark where the Detroit Tigers play in Detroit, and I'm a huge baseball fan. I, I don't get away as near as often as I would like to, but my heart's there just about every day. I know the routine well. I get in my car, and I pull out, and I drive up. It's 10 hours, and, and there's, I go to my hometown first, and I really don't have any family left there, but um, 
There's a little routine that I do. They have some what they call Coney Island hot dogs. And I, I go and I get my hot dogs. And then they have an ice cream parlor that's pretty well known. And I go and I eat my ice cream. And, uh, and then I know just how long it takes to get over to Detroit and be in my seat before the national anthem starts. And a few years ago, I went and I did my little routine. I was by myself. And my wife knows that uh, that's how I keep any sense of sanity is I get in the car and I drive to Michigan by myself to watch baseball games. So I, I get up there and I go and I eat my hot dogs. I eat the ice cream. And I, I start heading east on I-94. And I get about five minutes east of town. And I feel like God is talking to me. And... I would like to say this evening that I live in a place where God's just always talking and, and I know I'm supposed to and yet I don't hear God near as often as I wish I did. And God, I feel like God's saying, and I'm not one to hear voices and all that, but I feel like God's saying, hey, turn around and go see this lady in a rest home. And I'm thinking, all right, Lord, I drove all the way up here not to see a lady in a rest home, and I haven't seen this lady in years. I don't even know the rest home she's in, and if it's where I think it is, it's west of town, and if I turn around and go back, I'm going to miss the ball game. And so I, I, I keep driving, and I get about the next exit, and that voice gets a little bit louder, and I, I all right, Lord, I'll tell you what, as soon as the game's over, I'll come back to Jackson, and I'll go straight to the rest home. And I keep driving, and about the third exit, the voice is getting a little bit louder. And I'm not real smart, but when God calls three times, I know I better find the exit. So I turn around, and I drive back into town, and I go out west of town, and, and I still, I'm, I'm, I'm still arguing with the Lord. And, and I don't know if you've ever done that, and I'm not proud of it. But I, but I get to this, this little old rest home, and I... I haven't seen this lady. She was my Sunday school teacher when I was a kid. And, and not only that, she was my dad's Sunday school teacher when he was a kid. She's old. And I walk in and I go to the desk and I say, do you have somebody here named Grace? And told the last name and the lady said, how did you get here so fast? I said, what are you talking about? She said, about 15 minutes ago, she had a massive stroke, and we've been trying to get a hold of her family. She said, are you family? I said, no, I'm, I'm not. She said, will you, will you go back and just, just talk to her? And I went back, and you got to know I'm feeling pretty small at that point because God is saying, hey, while I was trying to get your attention, I knew what was going to happen over here. And I go in and I take this lady's hand that I haven't seen in 30 years and I, I don't know what to say because I'm not trained in that kind of thing. And I pick up her hand and I did the only thing I know to do and I, her eyes were wide open and she was staring at the ceiling and there was no emotion, no signs of life whatsoever. And so I start singing, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his glorious face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. And I see tears start to come out on these cheeks that hadn't shown any signs of life. And, and the, the end of the story is she never came out of that. 
And so I'm standing there in that moment, and I'm going, all right, Lord, you sent me here because I thought I was supposed to minister to her. And I get here only to find out that you were, wanted me to come so that she could minister to me. And I hadn't even thought about that story. I sure hadn't planned on sharing it tonight. But, but I drove in on, on the campus tonight. And God so impressed me how many years I've been coming here. And every time I would come, I felt like it was because I was supposed to share something with you. But there's something that's special that happens on this mountain. And you have no idea the amount of ministry that you do to the people that come to you. And isn't that just like God, just to kind of turn it around on us? Wow, what a, what a, what a blessed place this is. And I don't, I don't use words like that. I, I was thinking, um, I was thinking, there's a phrase that... Um, You know, I, I, I don't even think I'm going to go where the notes go. We're already so far off the page, it doesn't matter now, does it? There's a phrase that, um, that, that I keep hearing lately, different variations on it, and, um, and maybe you've heard it too. And it goes something like, uh, 50's the new 40. Have you all heard that? Or 40's the new 30, or 30's the new 20, and... And, and I keep hearing that, and I keep hearing different variations on it, and, and I'm convinced that, yes, it sounds kind of cool. What they're trying to do is say that what we perceive somebody as is, used to we think of 40 as this, now we perceive them as 10 years younger. And I'm convinced when I hear that, that it's a really cool little line that somebody came up with because they couldn't come to grips with how old they were. There's just, it's not that complicated to me. And, and, and no matter how they spin it, and, and we live in this kind of world where if you can't change the reality, then you try to do the next best thing, and that's to change the perception of the reality. Right? And, and you can watch it on the news, especially in a political season like this. You, you see the numbers come out for the economic forecast, and they're, they're the same numbers we're both looking at, and the party that's in power will spin them this way, and the party that wants to be in power will spin them this way. And I heard a different twist on that last week. We had been, I was at a seminar of publishers, and they were, they were talking about how uh, all these years the CD sales keep coming down and the digital sales haven't really come up to where they were yet. So every year at this conference, it's a little depressing. So last week I was there and they, they showed the numbers and we get down to last year and this year and they were the same height. And I'm looking at that and the guy says, well, as you know, flat is the new up. <laughs> Tell that to my banker. And here's the problem with that. At the end of the day, we can try and change the perception all we want, but 50 still 50. In fact, when I look in the mirror, I'm beginning to think, by the way I feel and the way I look, 50's the new 60. <laughs> I'm going the wrong way with this thing.
but no matter what we try to do with that, and I'm, I'm a little bit nervous because in our culture where we've taken all the absolutes and we've thrown them out, we've, we've said that the gray is okay and we've watched it in politics and we've watched it on the news, we don't have many black and whites left anymore. And I gotta tell you, it concerns me when I think about have we done this as well to what it means to be the real people of God? We, we say, well, you know, what I did really isn't as bad as what they did, and we start putting our little things in little boxes, and we categorize it, and then we do what's even worse, and we start comparing it to what you did. And we're living in this gray area. And there's things that, that, that I find we're talking about on the news that I wouldn't have even dreamed possible even 10 years ago. There's an old country song. One of my favorite country singers is, a, is an old guy named Mac McAnally. And I don't know if you know that name or not. But he had a, a song and the chorus was one line and it repeated the line three times. And it, and it said... Um, so I lowered the standard and I looked around and nobody noticed. So I lowered the standard and I looked around and nobody noticed. So I lowered the standard and I looked around and nobody noticed. And I thought, wow. Wow, that's, that's where we're at. And, and I'm just so afraid and the more, the more I learn about the theology, the things, the very dots I came to NBC to connect, the more I learn, the more I realize it's not a real high intellectual theology that we're trying to live out. It's pretty simple, and it's pretty black and white, and we can try and change the perception of it all we want, but God has called us to a life of holiness. And we don't, we don't talk about that much anymore. We don't, we don't even hear about it because it's just not fun. It's, you know, we, we've got churches and we've turned them into all these things and, and we've got six flags over Jesus and we've got a, a better band and we've got hipper lights and we've got media that'll blow you away. And somewhere in the middle of it all, God's saying, hey, but I called you to something that's simple and accessible. I called you to live a life that's holy. And there's a black and white. It's, it's it, you know, what, what I have friends, what they think of as sin is not what I think of as sin. I'm not talking this evening about a, some legalistic list of do's and don'ts and things that if you do this, you're a Christian. If you don't, you're not. I'm talking about an awareness of sin where the Holy Spirit begins to talk with you and talk with me about certain things that I can't go there anymore. When I was a kid, we used to, I used to spend a lot of time with the doctor. I wasn't a healthy kid, and, and as you can see, I've gotten over it. But when I was a kid, we used to go, and we were pretty poor, and so one of the things I loved about going to the doctor was they always had a magazine called Highlights. Anybody remember that? And that was for rich kids or doctors is all I knew. And in the Highlights magazine, they had a little search and they'd put a list of words. You tried to find them in this picture. Anybody remember that? And it was so hard to see them until you saw them and then you could not see them. 
And I'm telling you what, that's what sin is. And I go back and I read in, in, in Philippians 3 and, and Paul says, yet whatever gains I had, these I've come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish. And he goes on and on and he said, now that I've, I've already, not that I've already attained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call. And it's just as clear as he could make it. And he writes it in a way that even Dave Clark can get it. Just, just the idea that I'm standing here before you is, is the most unlikely of journeys. I remember the night talking to Dr. Graves and I had, I had come here and in two years I had spent in the MPP program and, and I was just about to think, you know what, I, I think I could do this. And my wife was with me on that trip and we talked about changing over to the degree program. Cindy and I went out in the car in this very parking lot and I cried like a baby because no one knew how many years that had weighed on my shoulders of wanting to understand the truth of the word. And you know what I've learned in six years of studying here? Is that it wasn't that hard. It wasn't that complicated. In fact, it was simple. And he's calling me to a simple life. And he's calling me to a journey that leads me daily to the foot of a cross. That's what Paul's talking about. And, and I just finished a class called the Pauline Epistles, and that's a real fancy name for, hey, we're going to study about Paul. They can, they can try to dress it up. I know. Where am I headed with all this? I'm, What's God calling you tonight to? I, this, this message of holiness that, that, that I'd say we don't, we don't hear enough about anymore. I've seen it just like the highlight search puzzle and I can't look away. And so daily, Daily, this journey, this unlikely journey that God's got me on, this little shy kid that didn't want to be in front of anybody. This journey now, every day I find myself staring at a cross. But I can't get to the, the, the Gethsemane. I can't get past, I can't get to Golgotha, but when I go to Gethsemane, it's a daily surrender. It's a daily dying. That's the essence of what Paul's saying here. I have a friend that uh, he's, he's had enough moral failures for five people. 
and he he had another one last year and he, he, he called me in to talk about it and he said he was a minister and, and, and he said he said you know I've, I finally got it figured out he said I, I found a therapist who finally explained me to me I knew we were in trouble he said he just told me I was just bent that way I said, oh, that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. You're bent that way, really? And so, so he writes a song, and the song said this, we've got to draw the line again. And I'm, I'm, I'm listening to that song, and I'm saying, no, no, no. The problem is you drew the line to begin with. If I'm going to live in the image of Christ, I've got to quit trying to transform and put the reality where I want it to be, and I have to be transformed in his image. And the only way I can do that is to look at the cross. I, you know what, I hadn't planned on sharing this, but I told you I'm not a guy who sees visions and hears voices and But I'm a writer, and, and, and every year when I come to Easter, when I come to Christmas, my prayer is always, Lord, let me see it in a way I've never seen it before. And I gotta tell you, a couple weeks ago as we headed into Easter, and I haven't shared this, but I, I'd started my journey just like I always do, and I had my Gethsemane surrender. And I went to my Golgotha moment and I looked up at the cross and I don't know how to explain this except to say I couldn't even see the hands because all I could see were my sins in each hand. And I remember just looking and praying, Lord, I, I, I know. And then something happened. He looked down at me and he began to call those sins out by name. Everything I had ever done Dave, you remember the time when you, you did things and it was the wrong motivation? Remember when you were a little too vain and you shouldn't have been and you knew better? And he began to call all the things out and then he just stopped and he said, but you're forgiven. That's the reality of the gospel is that we don't have to live with the guilt of our past. He's made a way and he invites us just to come. I know we're about out of time. I want to. I know where we're going to go this evening. If you've ever heard me, you know I never know where I'm going. It's a song we wrote years ago, and I. I don't know that I've ever even tried to play it, but it, if I could sing you the chorus, it goes like this. Willing to make any sacrifice 
willing to go, willing to stay. Lord, there's no price too high for me to pay. Any struggle that might come my way, I'm willing to go through. As long as my heart, as long as my heart knows it's you. Could I teach you that chorus? It says, I'm willing to live, willing to live, willing to die. Willing to make any sacrifice I'm willing to go Willing to stay Lord, there's no price too high For me to pay Any struggle that might come my way I'm willing to go through as long as my heart, long as my heart knows it's you. Is that your prayer tonight? Would you stand and sing this with me? And I don't know what your sacrifice is. And I don't know what road your journey may be as unlikely as mine. Can you sing this from a pure heart? I'm willing to live, willing to die, willing to make any sacrifice. I'm willing to go, Lord, there's no price too high for me to pay. Struggle that might come my way, I'm willing to go through just as long as my heart, long as my heart knows it's you. Dr. Graves, you come and just dismiss us in prayer. That is truly our prayer tonight. I would suppose if, if we took time, Father, to hear everybody's story here tonight, it could be summed up in this song. We've heard your call. We've been willing to go. Father, only you know, only you know tonight, the sacrifices made by each and every individual in this room. But whatever we've given to you, whatever it is, whatever it is, is insignificant 
when we compare what you've given to us. So we praise you tonight and we thank you. We thank you for this message tonight, Father. You've used your servant to speak to us. We don't take that lightly. It's always a good thing, Father, when we hear from you. Always a good thing. And we thank you tonight. And once again, personally, Father, as I've said many times before, I'm willing to go. And I'm willing to stay. I'm just willing to follow you. And may that be our prayer as we go tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.